This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Hey, you remember that time you lay in the grass and rolled down a hill, the sky spinning over your head and the smell of wet mulch in your nose, laughing out loud when you crashed into your best friend at the bottom of the hill? Or that time when you built a castle out of cardboard box with a maze of rooms and corridors that were inhabited by wizards and elves? Or do you remember when you cuddled that beloved soft stuffed bear surrounded by a forest of pillows and cushions whispering secrets in your bear's fuzzy little ears? Well, you may not have those exact memories or these exact play experiences, but you probably remember something very similar. As parents, we often use our own memories of childhood play as a sort of rubric for measuring our children's experiences. Parents often wonder whether play today is different from what we enjoyed as children. We sometimes don't even recognize play in our kids' behavior, especially when they're using tools and toys and materials such as iPads that we never had. The good news is that play is still play. It may look a little different, but it really hasn't changed all that much. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an early childhood educator and play expert about what play is, really, and how we can get more of it into our lives and our children's lives. I'm Armin Brott. We'll start talking about play and everything else around it when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. You must be your fairy godmother. Yes. It doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under four foot nine need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh. That does make a difference. Remember that four foot nine is the magic number. And get your little pumpkin there safely <laughs> in a booster seat. Hop in, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit boosterseat.gov. This has been a message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Anne Gadzikowski, who is the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess, 10 Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. Anne, thanks very much for joining us. Great to have you. Hi. Thanks for having me. In some ways, I mean, this, this will sound like a kind of an odd question, but why do we have to have books that teach us how to tell kids how to play. I mean, it seems like in so many ways, like kids just instinctively know how to do stuff. But I, I understand why yeah. you have, why we need the book, but I'm just sort of a devil's advocate kind of question. Why, why you know, wh what does that say about our society in a way that we have to teach <laughs> kids how to play? Well, I think that the children will teach us how to play. And that's one of the messages of the book is to remind parents that play is natural, that even though play looks a little different now, the tools, the toys that children use to play are a little bit different now than when we were children. 
um, play is still play. Children are still children. And, uh, you know, they will teach us how to play. So the book is reassuring parents, is reminding parents of the play that they enjoyed when they were children. It's a very hopeful book. It's not a parenting book that warns parents about all the things that are going to go wrong. It's, it reassures parents that there's so much joy um, in play in the times that we spend with our children. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I did a newspaper column, which I do every week, and this particular one had to do with, with blocks. So the, the question that I got was, what's the best tablet to get for our kids? And my response was, you know, the best tablet is no tablet at all right now, <laughs> and get yourself a, a nice set of blocks. And that is, is so, I think, so important to, to do that. I mean, this, you know, playing with tablets, you're not able to actually pick something up and get the hand-eye coordination and stuff. But blocks just seem so low-tech, and I think they don't make it into a lot of playrooms anymore. That's true. That's true. When I was starting in my uh, teaching career 25 years ago, it was still fairly common to see a block corner in a kindergarten classroom with a good set of solid wooden blocks. And you don't see that very much in kindergarten. You might still see it in preschool, but it's pretty rare now in kindergarten. And I would argue that kids need these experiences all the way up through first, second, third grade. There's something about wooden blocks that's very different from playing with plastic toys or playing with Legos that lock together. When you're constructing things with wooden blocks, you are having these kinesthetic experiences with really with math and geometry. You're learning about the ways different shapes fit together to make other shapes. You're learning about physics. You're learning about gravity. You're learning about when you build it up to a certain height, if you don't have a foundation, it's going to fall over. And those are things that you can't learn from, um, you know, toys that lock together, and those are things that you can't learn from using a tablet or building something in a virtual space. Exactly. Yeah. And so what what do you tell parents or and besides what you just said? I mean, how do you yeah. what what's so you know, give us a reason besides that. Okay, yeah, I understand that, that all that stuff, but who really needs to know about math and physics and stuff like that when you're 3 years old? So why why should I do this? Well, I can give you a couple additional practical reasons besides what the children are going to learn from it. One is a good set of wooden blocks that you get when your child is a toddler will last you for a long time. They will, they will grow with the child. The child will build more and more complex structures as they get older. They'll combine other toys with the blocks as they get older. So it's, it's a nice purchase to make. Also, one of the messages of the book is to get on the floor and play with your child, and some parents don't really enjoy that that much. They don't want to do the tea party. They don't want to do kind of the repetitive play that a lot of young children enjoy. But playing with blocks is something that a lot of parents do enjoy. Maybe they enjoyed it when they were children, or maybe they didn't have that much experience with it themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a kid, girls were not as encouraged to play with blocks as boys. I, my brothers had blocks, but I didn't have my own set of blocks. So I think a lot of adults, I find this with teachers when I do teacher trainings with them and we have wooden blocks available, they actually really enjoy constructing things with blocks too. So I would say to parents, you know, this is something that you might enjoy. This is something that might challenge you in some ways that you haven't been challenged in an ordinary day. So get down on the floor and build something. Yeah. You know, some of those those kits like Legos and, and uh uh, different kinds of things like that 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 snap together. Mega blocks is another one. I mean, th mm -hmm. I, th I think those are wonderful in many ways, but they now come in kits for building a specific thing. And I remember when I had Legos as a kid, they 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 didn't. You just got a box of them, 
And right. it was similar to what we're talking about with the wooden blocks as you just, it was mm -hmm. up to your imagination. But it seems like when you're being given specific instructions on something, your imagination is being challenged in a different kind of way. Yes, that's absolutely true. So the best kind of toy is the open-ended toy that can be used in lots of different ways. And um, especially with really young children when they're, when they're toddlers, when they're two and three years old, um, it's really great to have toys, that to have dolls and, and people figures that look like them, that look like the people they know, so that their play reflects their own reality. And then as they get older, they'll become more interested in more fantastical um, uh, toys, you know, horses with wings and things like that. And that's a natural part of the development of children's imaginations. They're going to want to want to get into some of those different kinds of stories. Um, but you can still get a basic uh, Lego brick set. You know, you walk into a toy store, the, the ones you're going to see first are the ones that are based on the latest TV show or the, the latest movie. But the, these toys do still exist. They're in, in the toy stores. They're in the toy catalogs. So it's, I, I encourage parents to get a balance of toys for their children. Everybody's going to hear from their kids that they want the latest thing. And, you know, once in a while, a special birthday gift or something like that, There's th those things aren't going to aren't gonna harm your children. Oh, They're no, still no. creating stories. But as long as they have a few materials that are more open-ended that will challenge them to be creative, then, then they'll be in good shape. Well, that leads us into another topic, which is about pretend and make-believe, is mm -hmm. that that's also something that, that there's so many kits and, and plays that you can do with the kids, but there's also just, I think, you know, the, the idea of just letting them alone to make up their own play or just as a parent, just make up a story and instead of, right. I mean, reading is fantastic, but you can also use your imagination too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the really little kids, they, they want to pretend with their parents, you know, they'll say, play with me. You be, you, it's, one of the funnest things I see is when a really little child tells the mommy, you know, you be the baby and I'll be the mommy, and they switch roles and pretend in, in the different roles. So that's that's really fun. And then in terms of, like, the, the, the play things that are going to encourage dramatic play, the best kind of dress-up is the stuff that's already in your house. You don't have to go out and buy a bunch of, a, a set of dress-up clothes. And, and speaking of open-ended, you know, a plain cloth, like a towel, will become a, a cape or it will come up, become a scarf. Um, you know, a spoon can be a magic wand. You know, the things that you already have in your house are terrific props for pretend play. And do you suggest that there, there be any kind of limits on that? I mean... Um, that's an interesting question. I... I don't think that there are a lot of limits um, that parents have to impose on pretend play, but I acknowledge that some parents are more comfortable with some kinds of play than others. And usually that comes up with older children around pretend play with weapons. Like um, in my day, it was pretending to be cowboys and you'd have your gun in your holster. But nowadays, you know, it's the lightsaber or other kinds of um, weapons that kids might want to pretend with. I'm pretty comfortable with that. I've had a lot of experience with kids. I see how it can be much healthier for a child to pretend play um, that they're a cowboy or that they're a magician with a lightsaber, um, to do those things and get out their energy and, and to um, you know ex explore their imagination in that way. And I've seen how that afterwards they'll be calmer and they'll be more focused that that's an opportunity for children to kind of live out what's in their head already. 
Um, but I do recognize that some parents are not as comfortable with some kinds of pretend play. And, you know, every family is going to have different rules about pretend play, about staying up at night, about how much time you can spend on the computer. You know, parents should feel affirmed to make the decisions that they think are best for their children. But I, at the same time, I would reassure them that pretend play is just pretend. It's not, it's not real life. It's not who your child is going to become. It's play. Right. And I guess as long as it's safe and nobody's getting injured, then it's probably pretty good or there shouldn't, shouldn't yeah. be any terrible problems with it. Yeah. I'm talking with Ann Gadzikowski, who is the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess, 10 Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Ann about a bunch of other things that I think are going to be really fascinating about play having to do with just generally making messes and uh, sports and the connection between sports and obesity. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called hands-only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Careful at the party, hun. Remember what we talked about? I know, Mom. No alcohol, right? Yeah, I know. Honey, seriously, I know you're in high school now, but you're still too young to drink. And you're still my daughter. I don't want anything happening to you. I know. I know. Really? Drinking is different with kids. You're still growing. You're still developing. It messes with your judgment. I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all, before they're teens. And you could do things that, honey, trust me, if you drink, you could do things you don't really want to do, that I don't want you to do. Yeah, Mom, I know. Listen, I'm just trying to protect you, all right? If you're a grown woman, it's different, but you're not. I know, okay? I know. Start talking before they start drinking and keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to stopalcoholabuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Ann Gautzikowski, who's the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess 10 Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. You know, I mentioned just before the break about sports and obesity, and I don't mean to suggest that, that there is a, a causal relationship between the two. I mean, kids are not becoming obese because of sports, but there has been a really interesting increase in the amount of kids who are doing organized sports and the scale of the obesity problem. And some people I've, I've talked to have suggested that that might be because the play is so organized that it's not giving the kids what they need as far as actual exercise. What do you think about that? Because I mean, you talk about the importance yeah. of getting outside. Yeah, there, parents have a lot of concerns 
about um, their children's health in terms of active play and outdoor play because we know that in schools, most schools, children are not getting as much time for recess as, as they have in the past. And the reality is that we can't just open the door and let our children, you know, play outside in our neighborhoods for hours and then call them in at, um, you know, at supper time the way we might have when we were, um, when we were children, that there are some realities around um, children playing independently that we can't um, uh, do the same things that we did when we were kids, at least in most neighborhoods. So these, these things exist. Um, but when parents become concerned that their children aren't getting enough um, active play um, and that they're not burning enough cal calories, they need to recognize that the children don't share those same concerns. Like you can't say to a child, well, you need to run around the playground five times because then you'll burn 100 calories. You know, that's not going to motivate a child to go outside and play. So in the book, I really encourage parents to t go outside with your children. They do need supervision, so go outside with them, but give them opportunities to just wander and give them opportunities to climb and explore, um, maybe um, you know, do some things that they wouldn't do in a, in a, in a uh, structured sports activity. And I have noticed, I've noticed this and I've, I've read about it, that playground design is very different now than it was 50 years ago. When I was a kid, the slides were much higher, the climbing equipment was much more challenging. And now playgrounds are much safer, which is great, the, especially playground surfaces, the um, the resilient you know bouncy materials that are at the the bottom of the slide are much more protective to children, but the equipment is not as tall, so children don't get as much natural challenge in terms of climbing, and and they need yeah. climbing experience from the time that they're very young. <laughs> no, that's something I've been kind of on the war path about for a long time. Is is not suggesting that kids need to break bones, but Right. A couple of scrapes is not going to hurt anybody, and you know, it it just it's it's frustrating to see these these playgrounds that have become kind of cocoons in a way. I mean, you you can bounce right. high and you off of the the rubber surface, and and everything is <laughs> yes. is all perfectly painted so that there's and, and rubber coated, and it just it just isn't as fun as my, yeah, to really me anyway. Of course, I'm saying that as an adult. Well, I think that's true, and um, I, I really admire the model of adventure playgrounds, which you see a lot of in Europe because there aren't as many um, regulations related to liability, where children have big pieces of what we call loose parts, like um, old tires and planks and ropes and, and things that they can build their own play equipment out of. They can make their own zip line by hanging it from a branch of a tree. And these kinds of things in America we're not as comfortable with. We're not, not as at ease with children taking these, this kind of initiative. We're worried that they're going to hurt themselves. But adventure playgrounds are supervised also. So, um, you know, we can use that as a model to inspire us, to give kids opportunities to play in open-ended ways. So maybe they'll use the lawn furniture, or maybe they'll, um, you know, use some old buckets from the garage, and they'll create an obstacle course in your backyard. So they need opportunities to do these kinds of spontaneous, open-ended things that they wouldn't get a chance to do if they were just going to soccer practice. Well, let's talk about the item that's in the in the title of the book: creating a beautiful mess. Right. Just <clears throat> getting filthy. What about that? Yes, exactly. Well, the name of the book comes from 
one of the essential play experiences. Chapter six is called Creating a Beautiful Mess. And that's the chapter about um, messy, gooey play, like finger paints or Play-Doh or playing outside and making a mud pie or playing with sand um, or, or splashing around in the bathtub with bubbles. So this kind of sensory play where children are um, learning about their world, they're actually learning about the properties of matter. They're learning about the difference between a liquid and a solid and what happens when you mix water with, with something that's, that's made out of grains and, and you know how, how much water does it take before it totally makes a spill and a mess. So these are, are really interesting experiments to children, and it's, and it's fun. Too. It can be very soothing to children to play with these materials. So, um, so that chapter specifically talks about that kind of sensory play. But all play can be messy, as we know. And all play is really beautiful because children are expressing themselves and they're trying things that they, they might have not have tried before. I guess with the messy play, there's also the, <clears throat> the hidden lesson of, you know, you're going to have to clean this up. At some right. point, so you know, to, to be careful what you're doing, but also, I mean, not not that you should limit it necessarily, but you know, there there is a consequence to everything that you do. Yeah, and and the really messy play, you might just want to take that outdoors, so you don't have to worry about your carpet so much. Um, oh, yeah. But in the kitchen, you know, giving children a little bit. Um, uh, when my daughter was little and I was cooking, I would give her a little bit of flour, like dry flour, and just a little pitcher of water. And she would mix it, you know, mix a little bit and see how it was kind of tacky and, and still really thick, and then mix a little bit more. And she would sit on the floor and do this while I was, while I was cooking. And it would make a mess. There'd be some powdery flour. They would get gooey. It would get on her fingers. But it wasn't that hard to clean up. You know, it's a tile floor. Um, you know, she can put her hands under the sink and rinse off her fingers. So it, it was a really great experience for her, and it was a time that we could share together, too. You know, when I started reading the book, I was looking at the chapters and going through them, and, and you know, they, they make sense about building with blocks and make-believe and running around and things like that. Then there was one that I thought was unusual, and I couldn't figure out why I thought it was unusual, but it, it, I'm going to ask you about it anyway, about turn-taking games. Ah. Well, t- turn-taking games is... Um, both the games that children play with each other, usually outdoors, like tag and Red Rover and things like that. But it's also about board games and card games and the things that you might play with your family at, at, at a table. Um, and parents seem to be particularly interested, at least the readers that I've talked to so far, in the board games because it's something that they remember from when they were kids. And I think it's hard to find a game that the whole family will enjoy playing together because traditionally the go-to American board game is Monopoly. And a lot of people don't really enjoy playing Monopoly that much. If you're going to play a game of Monopoly all the way through, it takes a long time. Like if you really go to the end of the game, that can be, you know, more than an hour. Actually, I don't know anybody who's ever played an entire game of Monopoly. (laughs) So it's great to encourage parents to find a game that they would enjoy playing with their children or that siblings of different ages would enjoy playing together. Um, Traditional games like Parcheesi or Sorry, I remember those board games from from when I was a kid. Oh, sure. But nowadays there are um, a, there's a trend in um, in board games towards 
um, Euro-style strategy games. These are for older kids. These are strategy games where they're really making choices in their play. It's not just luck. But these are fascinating games that families can play together. So I think it's reassuring to parents to know that there are things that they can play with their children as they get older. Um, that's an alternative to a video game. So if you had only one game that you could bring to the famous desert island, and of course you had somebody to play it with, what would it be? Um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is Ticket to Ride, because that's that's something that I enjoy. Um, and I've used it in the classes that I teach. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ticket to Ride. It's no. a fairly complex strategy game that adults can play. But it's very, also very attractive to children, because it has these little train figures. Um, of different colors. So even a, even a, a young child, a five or a six-year-old, might enjoy sitting with the adults while they're playing and, you know, manipulating the little trains and putting them on the tracks. It also has the board itself. The American version of the board is a map of the United States. So you can find yourself on the map and you can talk about, you know, where the people you love live in other cities. Um, and so the children can be present and participating in whatever ways they can in this complex strategy game, and it's really visually appealing to them. Anne Gadzikowski is the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess, 10 Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. Anne, thanks so much. Great to have you. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah. And I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit LoseYourExcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Hey, let's talk toys. We often think of the first few years of childhood as a time of total dependence on dad or mom or anyone else who's willing to change a few diapers and clean up vomit. But while that's true, those early years are also a time when kids start hurtling towards independence, trying to do everything on their own, whether it's crawling or walking or eating or reading or using a big kid toilet or anything else. This week, we're going to take a look at a number of toys that little ones will want to do on their own. Now, you may need to be around to help or explain a few things. Stickbots from Zing. Got a budding animator in your home? If so, this is definitely for you, as long as your child is old enough not to put small things in his or her mouth. The idea is pretty simple. Kids can pose the cute little plastic figures and use the free Stickbot apps, which are only available for iOS or Android, to create their very own stop-action movies. Suction cups where hands and feet would be allow the Stickbots to do all sorts of neat tricks. The bots themselves don't always hold their posed position, and the app can sometimes be confusing for very little kids, but overall... It's a really fun way to bring out your child's creativity. It's for ages four and up. It costs about 10 bucks for a kit with two bots and a tripod. Sleeper Hero from Sleeper Hero. When kids are little, 
Bedtime can be tough on everyone. Kids may be afraid of the dark or of being alone, and you may be afraid and then angry that you'll be up all night dealing with them. Sleeper Hero is a doll-book combination. The book is about a child who has trouble falling asleep in his own bed but is befriended by Sleeper Hero, who's there to comfort the child and banish the bad guys and monsters who are hiding under the bed. For the parents, the doll has a light on his chest that glows red when it's time for the child to stay in bed and changes to green when it's okay to run around and wake everyone up. Naturally, you can set both of those times. It's for ages 3 and up. costs about $49, and you can get information at sleeperhero.com. Trobo. If you're completely opposed to exposing young children to technology, you're really out of luck with this one. But if you agree that technology can be wonderful in moderation, and with an adult around, you'll love Trobo. This friendly plush toy pairs with an iPad or an iPhone and tells stories to your child. The stories subtly expose toddlers to science and technology concepts, and by incorporating your child's name and a cartoon avatar, he or she actually becomes part of the story and stays interested, which hopefully builds a love of learning. Trobo isn't quite out yet, but he'll be available just in time for the holidays. You can pre-order it at here comes Trobo.com. Double-sided crib toy and hide-and-seek mobiles. Both of these are from Tiny Love. The crib toy attaches to the inside of your baby's crib and lets your baby pound and bang, poke and twist five colorful elements that produce a variety of sounds and effects. Flip it over and it switches to nighttime mode with softly twinkling lights and soothing music. This mobile is not your father's or even your own mobile. Sure, it has adorable animals that gently go round and round accompanied by music, but these figures also play hide-and-seek with your baby. The mobile also gives your baby some control over the music. It's for 0 to 24 months, and prices vary all over the place, but you can get information at tinylove.com. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.